2: you everything you need to
3: fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show.
1: The baby blimp has another temper tantrum. Oh, yeah. Now it's over security clearances. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It's a Tuesday, Tuesday, July 24. Great to see you today, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, as always. As we used to say at Channel 7 in Los Angeles, from the desert to the sea to all of Southern California. (laughs) 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 I haven't heard that for a long time. (laughs) Uh, We are with you with all the news of the day from Washington, D.C., and yes, there is a lot of it. Donald Trump throwing a little uh, shit fit yesterday down at the that uh, the White House saying he's going to rip those security clearances away from uh, from uh, anybody who's critical of him next thing he'll be sicking the IRS on them and then uh, God knows uh, after that uh, that's just one of the big stories yes Donald Trump holds a great big Rally on the South Lawn to talk about products made in America. We're going to make we're just going to make it's important that we make everything in America, he says, while he is wearing a MAGA hat made in China. He might not have been wearing one, but that's where his MAGA hats are made, as well as all of Ivanka's jewelry and clothing, etc., etc. And if we are not at war with Iran yet, it's no thanks to Donald Trump because he is doing everything he can to change the subject by taking on Iran now because he can no longer take on North Korea because he gave uh, Kim Jong-un a great big wet French kiss. Oh, my God, so much to keep up with. And uh, that's why it's good to have you on board. We've got a lot to cover together, and you have a chance to tell us what you think about the news of the day by sending us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We dive in. Full bore, both feet, but first... (laughs)
3: This is the full court press.
1: All righty, just a couple of other stories making news.
3: Let's go to St. Petersburg, Florida, where William no, Malis. Too hot. It is a little hot. hot. William Malis just graduated college. Big deal, right? He graduated from college, St. Petersburg College. Here's the thing he's 11 years old. He was declared a genius at the age of five. He rushed through school, went all the way to St. Petersburg College, That's and ridiculous. he graduated this That's past weekend. It is ridiculous. He you and I agree on this. This he, is
1: crazy. No, he didn't graduate from college. <laughs> I mean, you cannot absorb at 11. Uh, I mean, there's a little, even if he could pass the math test, there's a little bit more to learning. Than I'd like that. to think so. He
3: graduated from a Pittsburgh area high school when he was only nine years old he says he has dreams of being an astrophysicist yeah go 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 home
1: and play soccer
3: yeah exactly exactly hey baby it's hot outside we go to phoenix arizona where yesterday temperatures approached 120 degrees and by the way it's supposed to get hotter it is supposed to get hotter it broke the previous daily record according to the national weather service and they're saying, like I mentioned, in parts of the United States Southwest, it's going to get a lot hotter this week. A heat advisory was in effect for West Texas, southeast New Mexico. High temperatures well into the triple digits. Uh, they've even canceled some school, uh, 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 some classes, because the school buses they can't run. It's just too hot. The school buses are too old. There's no air conditioning, and so to go pick up these kids from. From school would be just too bad. So, for crying out loud, uh, find some air conditioning and stay in the air conditioning. That's my advice.
1: There's no, uh, there's no climate change, so though. No, no,
3: no, no, no. This is just the, no, you know, no... this is just a cycle of
1: the Earth goes no, there's no global warming. No.
3: By the way, also parts of Utah <laughs> were expected to reach 109 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really really bad out there. So for the week, forecasters say southern Arizona will be dealing with temperatures all week long. From 112 to 119 degrees. So if you are listening in that area, drink some water.
1: Hold on to those temps. We'll come back to those.
3: Okay. All right. We'll we'll come back to those. But stay hydrated. Find some air conditioning. For God's sake, don't be outside if you don't have to.
1: This is the Bill Press Show. Oh, yes, indeed. Richard Nixon lives. I'm going to use my presidential power to punish my political enemies. First, we take away their security clearances. Then we sick the IRS on them. Eh, why not? Why not? You know, I'm president after all. Yeah, that's the latest uh, temper tantrum from Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. What do you say? And welcome... uh, Big welcome to the Bill Press Show on this Tuesday, July 24. So good to see you today. You're looking good. And thank you for joining us here. Uh, If you want to know what's going on, you're in the right place. If you want to know uh, what, uh, as a progressive, you ought to think about what's going on, you're definitely in the right place. For the next couple of hours, we'll take you through the news of the day, uh, what's happening here in Washington, around the country, and around the globe. Give you a chance to sound off about it, too, by sending us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. Always good to hear from you as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com, slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV and on the radio out in Chicago. Hello, hello, greater Chicago. Here we are on WCPT. And uh, you, those of you in Indiana, we're joining you on Indiana Talks, a statewide Yes, indeed. Uh, Before we get to the news of the day, stay cool, stay hydrated. It is stunning the temperatures that have been recorded in this heat wave that is really particularly through the southwest uh, of the United States, um, all the way to Japan. Japan is experiencing the hottest temperatures ever, ever recorded uh, in that uh, in that country, Uh, up to one hundred and six in Tokyo yesterday. But that's a little cooler than it is in some hot spots in the United States. I saw yesterday, Palm Springs, 119 oh, degrees, right? God. Waco, Texas, 111. Phoenix, Arizona, 114, even higher in some places around yeah. Phoenix. I said close to 120. Yeah. Uh, and it's not going away. It is, and uh, this is just the
3: beginning. They said that the the whole week the is going to be bad, and the highest temperatures yeah. are still to come.
1: But I mean, this is this is crazy, and uh, you know it's dangerous. Uh, a lot of people don't have air conditioning, even if they do. I mean, they can't breathe. I mean, temperatures are like that, uh, and um, you know, uh, planes can't fly. It's something like one hundred and twenty three or something, right? You get close to one hundred and twenty, and commercial airplanes cannot take off. Good so grief. this could shut down the airports in those in the in those cities as well it's really really Peter you had some temps earlier uh Utah yeah and yeah
3: so so Phoenix yesterday hit uh, on the, the this is not factoring in like what it actually feels like this yeah, is the right, actual temperature right. according to the National Weather Service 115 degrees that is yeah. a yeah. that is a record for Phoenix which You've been to Phoenix. You know how hot it could get in Phoenix. So the fact that they're breaking records out there it really says something. Uh, West Texas, Southeast New Mexico, both uh, seeing temperatures. Yeah well into the triple digits uh, in Las Cruces New Mexico it was 105 degrees yesterday uh, they like I, I mentioned over, they had to cancel the the bus service there because there's not good air conditioning in there parts of Utah saw 109 degrees uh, in Dixie and Lake Powell parts of Utah yeah uh, Arizona saw- is saying between
1: 112 and 119 degrees yeah. through the this week I saw this little device on CBS News last night when the reporters had it. It's it's you can point it at something and get the temperature. You know, like de- like inside sure. of it, the cars. So he was pointing it at the dashboard. Yeah, and you know the, the sun comes to the dashboard yeah. even on a normal day. It get really it can get, get pretty really crispy. Yeah, yeah, one hundred and forty-two
4: degrees. Ooh,
1: yeah. I man. Not that he was, he was there. He's just outside the car, but right, pointed it out there. at the dash, and it was one hundred and forty-two degrees. But you know, here's the thing. Whoa! It's a dry heat. Oh, that's true. Too. <laughs> so no, no humidity. No humidity. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but, it, it's it's no joke. So, you, uh, f- drink please. a lot of water. Stay yeah, inside. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. And uh, and and let's just <laughs> accept one more bit of evidence that uh, extreme storms, extreme temperatures in the winter, extreme temperatures in the summer. That's what we are experiencing, the reality yeah. of climate change. Yeah. Uh, so uh, take care of yourself uh, out there. Yes, indeed, meanwhile, oh, man, this came on like a ton of bricks yesterday. Uh, uh, it's it sort of like like it was one of those massive summer squalls that suddenly there's not a cloud in sight, and then suddenly it's the big, biggest storm you ever saw, the deluge. And that's happened at the White House yesterday when— At the briefing, nobody had any idea this was coming. Crazy Rand Paul had met with the president earlier and said, you know, that John Brennan's always uh, criticizing you. You ought to take away his security clearance. Now, let's just back up a little bit. Those security clearances that people at the very high levels of any administration get, those dealing with national defense issues or national security issues, uh, they keep them when they leave because often uh, they want to keep these people up to date, the sort of the national security community, and they even bring them back. You know, Obama brought some Bush people back to consult them. How do you think we ought to handle this Iran deal? Or how do you think, what, what, what about this thing with Syria? What should we do? So they, they just want to keep them up to date. There's always been the tradition through Republican and Democratic presidents. Uh, but no, Donald Trump picked up on this idea of um, taking away, of uh, Rand Paul's idea, of taking away the security clearance of John Brennan, and he just went ballistic over it, uh, huge temper tantrum, and announced through Sarah Huckabee Sanders, not only John Brennan, they're going to take away the security clearance of anybody who worked for Barack Obama just about. So here, so here she is at the briefing yesterday. Why are we going to do this? Because these people are out there making False accusations against our president.
4: The president is exploring these mechanisms to uh, remove security clearance because they've politicized and in some cases actually monetized their public service and their security clearances and making baseless accusations of improper contact with Russia.
1: Yes, improper contact with Russia. I mean, didn't we see evidence of that in Helsinki? Sarah Huckabee Sanders goes on again uh repeating this, monetizing and politicizing.
4: When you have the highest level of security clearance, when you're the person that holds the nation's deepest uh, most sacred secrets at your hands and you go out and you make false accusations against the President of the United States, he thinks that is a uh, something to be very concerned with.
1: Uh, false accusations, baseless accusations like what? I mean like, oh, okay. Donald Trump didn't stand up to Vladimir Putin. Whoa! False accusations. What do you mean? We all saw it for 45 minutes in Helsinki. Donald Trump said he sides with Vladimir Putin over his director of national intelligence. False accusations? That's what he said in Helsinki. Donald Trump said he would allow the Russian spies to come over here and interrogate our former ambassador. Make a deal with them if we could talk to their 12 military officers. False accusation? That's what Donald Trump said in Helsinki. Yeah. Reckless, dangerous, kind of turns things with Russia upside down. Yes. Donald Trump did not condemn Vladimir Putin for interfering in our election in 2016, he did not condemn Vladimir Putin for invading Ukraine. And seizing Crimea and annexing Crimea? False accusation? Hardly. That's what he did. Uh, And for these people to say that and point out that this is not necessarily good policy? uh Uh-uh. Donald Trump says, how dare you criticize me? Don't you know in the United States of America, you're not allowed to criticize the president of the United States, especially not me, me, me. I'm Donald Trump. But it's not just John Brennan who's the one who called him treason, uh, said what he did was treasonous. Uh, But Sarah Huckabee Sanders tells us there's a long list of people they're going to go after.
4: Not only is the president looking to take away uh, Brennan's security clearance, he's also looking into the clearances of Comey, Clapper, Hayden, Rice, and McCabe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now, first of all, to show you how well thought out this is, right, uh, 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 there's so much wrong with this, but for talk about cheek, talk about, I mean, a chutzpah, for Donald Trump or Sarah Huckabee Sanders to accuse anybody else of making baseless accusations. What does Donald Trump do on Twitter 50 times a day? He's always making baseless accusations. That's how he became president. That's how he became president. That's right. That's how he's remained president. That's what he does. He just he just throws this crap out there and attacks people right and left without any facts at all. Mm, maybe you know how far again, no, he would never do this. He would never accuse a former president of wiretapping his office at Trump <laughs> Tower, would he? Mm-mm. No. For example, no. But at any rate. He just
3: came out and said that the reason he lost the popular vote is because 3 to 5 million million
1: people people voted illegally. No, no, no. No, he'd never make an accusation like that. But at any rate. So uh, to show you how well thought out this is. So again, the list is John Brennan, uh, James Clapper, uh, James Comey. Uh, Andy McCabe, Susan Rice, and Michael Hayden. Well, um, two people on that list don't even have a security clearance anymore. James Comey and Andy McCabe don't have a security clearance because they were fired. If you're fired, you lose your security clearance. Uh, Right. So right away, it just shows how, how well thought out this was, not at all. But the other thing is, you know, this is right out of, it's hard to say, is it, Richard Nixon's playbook, or is it Vladimir Putin's playbook? I mean, both, I guess. This is something both of them would do. This is something that Richard Nixon did. Remember that? Oh, that was one of the Watergate offenses, that he was using his, abusing his presidential powers to go after his political enemies. In his day, he was doing it by sicking the IRS on them. It's no different from what Donald Trump is doing, saying, I'm going to take away your security clearance. You know what? I got a t- total right out of Nixon's playbook, right out of Putin's playbook. And you know what this really is? Let's fight. This uh, I put in the same category as that famous tweet yesterday or the night before, all caps against the president of Iran. Both of those things are attempts by Donald Trump and the Trump White House to change the subject. They don't, they know they look like fools after the Helsinki summit. They know how badly Donald Trump screwed up at that summit. They're desperate to talk about anything other than Vladimir Putin and Russia or Robert Mueller or Paul Manafort. We'll get to that in just a second. So they got to change the subject. This is classic Donald Trump. Let's just lob a grenade in there and talk about something entirely different. And we'll get the media going all bonkers 24-7 now about security clearance. That's what this is all about. And, of course, we're falling right into the trap. But it is so outrageous. And I'll tell you what I would do. If I were Susan Rice, uh, and she's a good friend, I would call up John Brennan and Michael Hayden, uh, who's the other one there that still has one, uh, James Clapper. uh, Because, remember, Comey and McCabe don't have one anymore. And I would say, hey, join me. Join me. Let's go down to the northwest gate of the White House today and publicly turn in our security clearance and say, here, you can have the damn thing because we've got something more important than that. We've got the United States Constitution and we've got the First Amendment and we've got the right to say anything we want about you. Bird brain. Ah, I'd call him something else except uh, (laughs) we are family. (laughs) We're on the radio. Yeah. I I, I just lay it out there and say, come on, grow up, Donald Trump. Okay, I mean, if anything, if anything, the American people have a right to stand in front of the White House or go on television and criticize the president of the United States without any repercussions, without any punishment, without any abuse of presidential powers. So just just that's what it's that's what it's all about. Um, by the way, in that area of foreign policy, um, I think that um, one of the reasons, again, uh, that Donald Trump is trying, to, uh, is, is trying to change the subject is because he has really turned things upside down. Adam Schiff, we quote him often, um, but he's a very good guy and a good legislator and a good friend, uh, said yesterday, I thought he really summed it up, that what we really ought to be focusing on here and not enough people are talking about, is that Donald Trump has turned American foreign policy that has survived and thrived under Republican and Democratic presidents for the last 70, years. years, basically this Atlantic alliance that we have, um, certainly since World War II, and he has turned it totally upside down, putting us in an entirely different direction than we've been going, again, under Republican and Democratic presidents. Ronald Reagan, George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, and all of them. Here's how Adam Schiff puts it.
5: The Helsinki summit really brought to a head an entirely new and destructive direction that Donald Trump would bring this country, a direction in which we shun fellow democracies, uh, in which we castigate our NATO allies.
1: Yeah, right? Uh, And I saw... um, Yesterday from the uh, Richard Haas, very smart guy who's head of the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, also put it that way. Uh, he, he summed it up um, in, in, again, how things are totally different from the way uh, they used to be. And Mike Allen uh, uh, had this yesterday in his uh, little newsletter on uh, Axios, what the, the morning Mike Allen report, whatever it's called. Uh, Richard Haas, quoting Richard Haas. Here's how things are different. Allies today are adversaries, and adversaries are friends. Autocrats are preferred to Democrats. Unstructured summits with foes go more smoothly than organized summits with friends. A vague promise to get rid of North Korea's nuclear weapons is acceptable, but a specific agreement that precludes Iran's nuclear weapons is not. It's acceptable for others to interfere with the politics of America's democracy, as the president is increasingly prepared to interfere in the politics of other democracies. Protectionism has replaced free trade, and unilateralism is favored over multilateralism. Yeah, but Donald Trump, totally turning things upside down. A man who knows nothing about foreign policy other than his freewheeling style. Uh, which he applies both to domestic issues as to foreign issues. Uh, Another issue, though, that Donald Trump feels strongly about is making things in America. In fact, yesterday at the White House, they were trying to keep the focus on the economy uh, until, once again, uh, Donald Trump trumped his own message, if you will, by talking about these security clearances when they really wanted to talk about the American economy. And the way they we were going to do so yesterday was to talk about the importance of buying American, uh, American goods and making America goods. Here is Donald Trump saying, here is what we live by. The more we make things in America, the stronger America becomes. That's why we will always live by two crucial rules, buy American and hire American. Sounds good. Makes sense. It is important. And Donald Trump says again, for me, the most important thing is where is something made? Today, we declare a simple truth. It matters where something is made. Matters to me. How can (laughs) he say that? How can he stand there with a straight face and say that? And how can he say that in front of a crowd that doesn't just laugh out loud? Hey, Donald, what about that hat you're wearing? What about that MAGA hat? Where are the MAGA hats made? You know it. They're made in China. Hey, here's my lovely daughter Ivanka, my chief counselor Ivanka, who's got still while she's in the White House. Her clothing line, her jewelry line, her accessories line, where are those products made? They're Look at them. Look at it. Just look at her website. They're made in China or Bangladesh or somewhere. None of them are made here in the United States of America. So it matters to me. Matters to me. Yeah. <laughs> this is the, you know, his ties, right? I mean, the whole the whole Donald Trump clothing line, people have reported this so many times. It's all made. None of it made in the United States. And and so they have this whole, this is the second year in a row they've done this at the White House. By Americans. Uh, and hire American, and nobody calls him on it. It's just no, yeah, it's insane. It's uh, one of those
3: things. That I'm, I'm, I really am. Honestly, I'm shocked that <clears throat> that people that support Donald Trump don't get madder about this because this is one of the things that he essentially ran on. He ran about American jobs, American products, bringing stuff back to America. And when you look at what he and his company and his children's companies and all of this, I mean, they they don't care. They don't care. And if they do hire American workers or they do get it done in America, then they just don't pay them.
1: Uh, you know, it's just some people, <laughs> um, they're just so dumb. I, I read a story this morning about a, a steel plant in, um, uh, I don't know, in the Midwest somewhere. Uh, they've had to lay people off. They've had to delay making some new improvements they were going to, Uh, their sales are way down because of tariffs on steel and aluminum that Donald Trump put in. And yet the owner of the plant says he's still a big Trump supporter because he just figures that the president has to know more about what's going on than than I do. And so even though it's hurting my business and hurting my employees, I still got to stick with Donald Trump.
3: Jeez, man. That's
1: his base. That's his base. As uh, we, we say often, they're still on Fifth Avenue. Uh, Donald Trump would like to change the subject from Russia and the Russia probe one of the reasons he's having a hard time doing so is a little guy named by the name of Paul Manafort got some news yesterday Paul Manafort wanted to delay his trial uh, for months uh, the judge said no it was, by, it was supposed to start tomorrow once that trial starts the Manafort thing is going to be on the front page every day because of all the stuff that Robert Mueller is going to be bringing out. It's the first time that we really would have seen the case that Robert Mueller has made in public. Uh, uh, so the judge did grant a delay until next Tuesday, uh, Jan- July 31, is when the Manafort uh, trial starts in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, and by by the way, Robert Mueller also requested and received permission from the judge to give five witnesses in that case immunity, uh, so they can talk and say anything and uh, not be uh, held responsible. Yeah, we,
3: it, we get they, it's, they it's get... a it's a deluge of news every day, right? Yeah, you're right. right. When this gets started, it's going to be fascinating for a lot of different reasons, not just to see the ties that uh, that Paul Manafort had to the Russians and to Donald Trump and all that stuff, but as you mentioned, Robert Mueller's been doing a lot of work.
1: Yeah, and yeah. we'll find we and, we'll f-
3: and we don't know a lot about
1: it. Right, we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. Uh, in a related matter, uh, <laughs> we talked yesterday about the the famous tape that Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney, uh, made a uh, conversation that he, Michael Cohen, had with yes, his client Donald Trump about paying um, some hush money to Karen McDougal, the former Playboy model, uh, Bunny. And um, that tape uh, is now part of the case uh, that prosecutors have uh, looking into Michael Cohen and his relationship with Donald Trump. Uh, It turns out there were actually 12 tapes that Michael Cohen has with Donald Trump that have been turned over to prosecutors. We don't know what the eleven other 11 are all about. But we'll know soon enough, and I can't wait to find out. But you know that, my, again, Michael Cohen, now that he has said he is willing to cooperate and he will put his country and his family, or let's put it this way, his family and his country ahead of Donald Trump. Um, that, that's probably the worst news that Donald Trump needs to hear this morning. Uh, just two other issues. Before we take a little break here, uh, we mentioned last week that Linda Sanchez... From Orange County, California, threw her hat in the ring to take Joe Crowley's place as head of the Democratic caucus in the House, uh, the fourth most powerful person in the House. Uh, she's got some competition. Another good friend from California, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, has been our guest here many times on the program from Oakland, California, would be the first African American woman ever in leadership. Uh, in the House, uh, Linda Sanchez would be the first Latina ever in the leadership uh, of the House. Uh, and um, so th- th- there's, there may be others that, that, uh, that join in. But for, for, for now, that's a spirited contest between uh, two great people, Barbara Lee and Linda Sanchez. Uh, and finally, Rand Paul also in the news, not just for recommending that uh, John Brennan's security clearance be ripped away, But he announced yesterday with great fanfare that he is undecided about whether or not he will vote for uh, Brett Kavanaugh for the Supreme Court. Oh,
3: yeah, man, for sure.
1: Oh, for sure. Exactly. You know what? Don't believe a word that he says. This, This is classic Rand Paul. Oh, I'm not sure I could vote for that. And then everybody gets all excited And they say, look, Rand Paul's really wavering. No, he's not. He's just playing games. He will, I'll tell you right now, take it to the bank. Rand Paul will vote for Brett Kavanaugh, just like he has caved in every other time that he said he's a no vote. He always turns out to be a yes vote for Donald Trump. And by the way, hate to be too much of a conspiratorialist or whatever the word is right now, but don't you think maybe one of the reasons that Donald Trump picked up Rand Paul's suggestion about ripping the security clearance away from John Brennan is to get Rand Paul to vote for Brett Kavanaugh, you bet your sweet ass it is.
3: How, how, how uh, long have we done this? How many times have we seen Rand Paul to, to me, throw a little so, fit?
1: To me, that's so apparent. Donald Trump yeah. knows that Paul Rand Paul is saying, maybe I won't vote for Kavanaugh. He suggests something. Donald Trump goes and makes it his official policy already. Yeah. yeah quid pro quo? Is that what we call it? I don't know. You call it the art of the deal? <laughs> Anyhow, it stinks. That's what it does. Let's move on. We got a great guest to start us off today. Daniel Lippman, co-author of the playbook on Daily Roundup on Politico, which we depend on and you should uh, sign up for and depend on as well. Daniel Lippman joins us next year. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back on The Bill Press Show Tuesday, July twenty-four. This is The Bill Press Show. How about it? Tuesday, July 24. Uh, Welcome, friends, uh, to The Bill Press Show. Thanks for joining us today. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., joining you everywhere in this great land of ours and brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Good men and women of our firefighting departments. Uh, You know, we think of them a lot here in in our studio because they're right around the corner from us. We hear them flying by. Uh, You know them in your community as well on the front lines protecting American families every day under the leadership of President Harold Shateberger. Check out their website at IAFF.org and join me in saying hello to Daniel Lippman, the co-author of the playbook every morning in Politico. Daniel, good to see you.
5: Good morning, Bill. You staying cool? I am. I'm trying to stay out of the rain. (laughs)
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. We're dealing with this relatively cool weather here, and the rain, and the rest of the country, or a big part of the country, this massive heat wave, I unprecedented know. heat
5: wave. We should tell that to Scott Pruitt if he's still in Washington. Yeah, right. well, yeah I who? Don't know.
1: Scott, who <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, well, he's well, never gonna get a job. I well, if they take a security clearance away, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll never get one for sure. Uh, Peter, we got a few comments yes, lined indeed. up so far before you got here. We were stirring things up here. Don't That's forget, good.
3: you can find us on Twitter at BP Show. A couple of comments this morning, Trippin' Fool says. Those that forget or never learned history are doomed to repeat it. It's uh, something we've heard many, many times, (laughs) but it's certainly uh, applicable to today. Uh, Al Mio says, it doesn't matter what Trump does, his base does not care if he gets his items from China or anywhere else. I feel like because they had a winner, they will back him no matter what to the detriment of everybody else. And on the security clearance issue, Walker Ogden says, instead of less people with security clearance, we need more people with security clearances to keep an eye <laughs> on the fruit Loop in the presidency. Uh, and also, we often read comments from a man, Romaine, our friend Romaine in Chicago. He says, you actually cannot turn in a security clearance. You can only be denied one a la Jared Kushner uh, he says he held one while active duty Navy each duty station uh, each duty station or job you have determines your level of security clearance so even if they wanted to just turn him in they they technically can't but right. if you have a comment find us on Twitter at BP
1: show at BP show so what did, what about this day did you I mean are there people uh, this charge that they are politicizing and monetizing uh, their security clearance
5: So it comes from how a lot of former intelligence and national security officials, they go into the private sector after their government service, uh, trying to cash out, and they work for big defense firms and uh, contractors for the government, uh, and they go on TV. And so their expertise uh, from their former jobs, that helps get them these current gigs. And so Trump is Uh, crying foul and saying this is not the right thing to do. Uh, But it it seems like it's mostly related to their criticism of uh, Trump. He's not going after other intelligence, uh, former intelligence officials who don't criticize him as much and then also go on to uh, make a lot of money in the private sector.
1: Um, Is this a colossal effort to change the subject?
5: I think it's trying to inject one more thing in that so we're not talking about Say uh, you know the Manafort trial
1: or Vladimir Putin in Helsinki, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which we've been talking about for the last week. Yeah, but 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 let's let's move on. But you know the, uh, the uh, what I what struck me at the briefing yesterday, Sanders H- Haley Jackson from NBC uh, said if <laughs> the president says these people are politicizing this process. Isn't that exactly what he's doing by yes. this? And Sarah Huckabee Sanders says. Oh no, because he's not making baseless accusations. <laughs> this is the guy that
5: has said repeatedly that the Obama administration surveilled him on his campaign and that uh you know his the intelligence deep state is going after him and always talks about how uh the Mueller probe in his mind is a witch hunt when yeah. even Republicans like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell they they say that's not true that they trust uh Mueller to do a good job.
1: Right. Um, I, I thought it was remarkable, too, that um, the two of the people on the list, they said, so they named six people, right? James Comey, NBC reported, I said James Comey and Andy McCabe don't have a security clearance anymore because they were fired. Yeah, and so that's... But they hadn't really kind of thought this. They didn't, they didn't look
5: up the current status <laughs> of these people who uh, with their security clearances. Most of them don't actually even use it much, uh... If at all, they, uh, you know, their network of contacts and their uh, their expertise—that's why uh, people will hire them outside of after government, yeah. not for their security clearance, because that's you—they're yeah. not going to be allowed to just share information willy-nilly. And right? So.
1: Even if they had a security clearance and were part of some briefings, they would not be able to go out and talk about. What oh, they had learned in those briefings. Only, only
5: with people who were who also had in the to, briefings and were also had the same level of security clearance.
1: Right. You know, it's sort of like um, former members of the House and the Senate. They cash in on their yeah. former job and get pretty lucrative lobbying jobs in town based on the position. Like that, Weber. Obviously. Yeah. No. Like, and by the way, it's not illegal. I know a lot of friends have done that. but. Based on the former position that they held, right, and, and the contacts that they have.
5: The ironic thing is that the, uh, uh, you know, Trump himself, he, uh, remember Rob Porter, the former White House staff secretary who had a clearance and had abused some of his ex-wives, uh, you know, they, uh, they basically kept him the job for uh, a full year. Even though they had started to know about that issue months before, and so they didn't seem Good to point. be. Yeah.
1: Uh, oh no! You can beat I your com- wife, but you can't criticize me. I completely <laughs> that's, that's... forgot about that. Yeah, no. I mean
3: I, com- I mean, I remember the Rob Porter's, but I forgot a lot of it was around the security clearance. He yeah. ha- he was
1: domestic abuse is okay, beating women. Criticizing me is not. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
5: Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that uh, they have really never properly told everyone about how that all went down. Right.
1: You know, totally unrelated to this, but something that really troubles me today is um, I love going to New York, and one, and one of the things I love about New York, I love going to the newsstands, and I love just looking oh, at yeah. the headlines and picking, and and those tabloids, the New York Post and the New York Daily News, I usually buy, as soon as I get off the train, one of each, right? Cause it's, I just love that kind of almost British-style, you know, journalism. And we learned today the New York Daily News. Oh, yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, New York Daily News. Cutting half of its staff, its reporting staff, cut in half. I mean, that's really sad. It's very
5: shocking, and uh, and they cut people like Maggie Haberman's husband, who is the politics oh, really? editor, uh, yeah. Dara uh, Gregorian. And so that is, uh, they've lost a lot of talent there. And, and New York itself has, uh, you know, my colleague Michael Calderon, he called it a news local news desert in terms of. Uh, well they cover business and tech but there isn't that many people uh who are covering the local no, cops and right. dna yeah. info uh shut right. down uh you know a lot of the others are uh not as strong as they should be and you know buzzfeed they're not covering new york local news as much
1: uh, no and i some some of the comments i saw this morning probably you did too were like well you know this is the way things are going this is a trend this is just kind of more of the same but you know, I don't want to dismiss it that easily. I mean, this is pretty. pretty and it just gives a,
5: a green light to public officials.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know,
5: most people, uh, I'm not saying all public officials are bad, but there are a number of them who, over the years in New York, have, uh, have been corrupt or committed various crimes. Uh, you know, people like Elliot Spitzer, even, yeah. uh, Eric Schneiderman, uh, who was the former attorney general of New York State. And so. Uh, if they have fewer reporters trained on them, then uh, that is just bad news for uh, democracy.
1: The uh, yeah, and I it has happened so many papers around the country. But I mean, to see the daily paper and uh, the, the, that the, just de- disappear basically is really uh, um, really sad for for our democracy. Uh, what's happening in the, on the Paul Manafort front? So uh,
5: they had a hearing uh, yesterday uh, in Alexander, Virginia, where the first of two trials will be held, and uh, the judge uh, basically pushed back the trial for six days, and so it's uh, slated to start uh, in the next uh, week or two. Uh, I was, uh, you know, preliminarily start going to start on Wednesday, but yeah. they have to pick, uh, you know, have the jury selection and alternate jurors, and uh, they released uh, yesterday the names of five witnesses. Who were given uh, limited immunity to testify. So it's people. Some of the people worked in banks who kind of know about all who were involved in all of this Manafort stuff.
1: So I'm a little confused. Maybe you are as well. But there, as you pointed out, there are two trials. There's he's one trial here in D.C. and this one is in Virginia. Right. What are the different charges? So Do we know
5: the uh, Virginia one, I believe, is the uh, you know bank fraud and tax fraud, uh, and the DC one, uh, which makes sense, is he failed to uh, properly register as a foreign lobbyist uh, for so Ukraine. So the work he was done for Ukraine the, and, then, and all yeah. the other um, that that was mostly Ukraine, and so that they split up the trials. Uh, and so my, you know, speculation is that uh, Manafort will will see how he does in the first trial. If he uh, is found guilty, <laughs> then he might come back to the prosecutors and Mueller's office and say, like, um, okay. "What can we do to yeah. stop the second one? And so, how do I cooperate?" So
1: he may decide to cooperate. It is interesting that so far, right? Uh, I believe I don't know anybody else who has refused to cooperate with Robert Mueller. He's really certainly Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, and none of them else. were
5: facing two different trials. and so that might have been a play by the prosecutor's part to try to squeeze him. Uh, they had tried to squeeze him before, but uh, you know, if I don't think Manafort was also waiting for signals that he might get a pardon from Trump, but it doesn't seem like likely to happen. So that either that means that Trump is not afraid of what will come out or that he doesn't think that Manafort has much on him. Uh, but Manafort might have stuff on other people, uh, Don yeah. Jr., Jared, and so maybe Trump is willing to let those people uh, float to the winds.
1: It's just interesting to me that Manafort has taken this position, no, I'm going to fight it every step of the way. He's always been a brawler. so Which is, uh, you know, there's obviously a risk there, right, that he could lose. <laughs> yep, that's the— uh, <laughs> And his get-out-of-jail card is the maybe the presidential pardon, but that's not something you can—
5: Or the information he might know that's a big out of jail card So
1: that he that he w- w- could share with
5: yep they're, wait- they're waiting they're trying
1: and meanwhile um, Michael Cohen keeps coming up with well, first of all he's hired Lanny Davis oh, which yeah. is interesting right you,
5: we all know Lanny we all know
1: Lanny for a long time yeah
5: that's a good move by Michael Cohen's
1: part. He's so. a good lawyer. He's a good lawyer, and he certainly did the job for Bill Clinton. That's when I got to know him. Yeah. You know, he was very smart in Bill Clinton. They hired Lanny Davis, and then Michael, um, uh, blanking, uh, Mike McCurry, yeah. the press secretary at the time, just said, no, I'm not answering any questions about Monica Lewinsky. Talk to Lanny Davis. You know, yeah. and Lanny had that. That was his task, right?
5: Yeah, he's had a, he's grown a specialty in in Washington, uh, crisis and uh, being the lawyer for people who get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly,
1: right. So, a perfect hire, I thought, for Michael Cohen and Michael Cohen, who everybody thought originally, well, oh, he'll take a bullet for Donald Trump, right?
5: It's kind of ironic that Lanny is, you know, the former Clinton lawyer who now represents Michael Cohen, who uh, doesn't really like the Clintons as much as. <laughs> Some right. other, I forgot so,
3: who it was that actually said it. Right, but, like Michael Cohen would take a bullet for Donald Trump up until the like he's facing an actual bullet. Right, like he's facing an actual, real life consequence for his actions, and maybe he's not so loyal anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. So now we know that there is this one tape with Michael Cohen talking to Donald Trump about a payment to Karen McDougal.
5: Yep, and then there's eleven other tapes. Eleven. <laughs> so they just keep popping up.
1: All right, now, he almost was Daniel, like a journalist. I'm counting dude. on you to to tell us what's on these other eleven tapes.
5: We're all trying to figure that out. <laughs> more women, maybe I don't know. Well, yeah, it's it's. it's they it's, it didn't
3: rule it out. I mean, that that's that's well, something that Rudy Giuliani certainly left the door open that there were more women out there than the ones that we know seems about. Seems like Cohen, if might necessary,
1: have, if necessary, he said yes.
5: Seems like Cohen taped any conversation that was pretty sensitive, and so they're he's digging through those. They're digging through these tapes. So they might find more tapes, you know.
1: Do you think he took do you think he made those tapes without Donald Trump's knowledge?
5: Yeah, I don't think uh Trump wants to be taped usually. So Yeah, he, I don't think I can't see Michael telling Trump, "Hey, can I audio can I record you just in case I need to use this against you eventually?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, or Donald, you know I'm taping this, right? I would think no. There's no it just looks bad on everyone's part. But think about that. That's your private Attorney, right? He had other attorneys, but Michael Cohen was his guy. And right? Trump
5: himself said, "Oh, it must have been illegal for you know, perhaps illegal if uh, Cohen did this." But in New York state law, only one party has to consent to the taping. That is the person who's recording the inter- the, the conversation.
1: Hmm. Um, I don't, not sure where I read it this morning. I, I don't think it was in Playbook, but I don't. Th- I think it might have been on Politico that uh, the White House is. Making a list of the next, potentially the next press secretary to replace Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah. Where's this come from? Uh,
5: this comes from uh, the expectation that she's out the uh, door in the next couple months. Based on? Uh, there's been reporting on this. Uh, uh, Jackie Alemani, uh, who covers the White House for CBS, uh, she had a, broke a story about this uh, a while back. And, you know, this is just the scuttlebutt in town as well. And so- You know, some of the people on the list include um, uh, Heather Newart, who is the uh, State Department spokesperson. Right. Who Um, is a former Fox Fox News personality. Uh, There is uh, Rod
1: Shaw, who's also on the list. Who's a a deputy press secretary now. Right. um,
5: There is that Bill Hemmer, the Fox News anchor. (laughs) Uh,
1: They all, by the way. What is wrong? I mean, It's crazy. (laughs) Gee, how unusual that they would look for somebody at, from Fox News, and Bill Shine from Fox News yeah. leading the search. Yeah, right. you just ma-
3: you just mentioned three people. Two of them are from Fox News,
1: and the other people are but the idea. If I can just, with the, but yeah, this this sort of reminds me of that they were saying like maybe Tucker would have been the last press or, before a second. I mean, Bill Hammer's not going to give up his job no. as anchor. On Fox News, which he has had ever since he left CNN, and by the way, does a damn good job. Uh, he's not going to give up that that solid position on Fox News to become press secretary for Donald Trump.
5: No, Bill is smart enough not to do that. And yeah. So they have. Yeah. There's not much they. He's already. He doesn't want to sacrifice his reputation uh, to uh, take this job. You know, Bill's a. Uh, uh, You know, he's been a solid journalist for a long time. He was at CNN. We all have known him over the years. And so um, that is, he doesn't want to be seen as a partisan, I'm sure. And I think the the other two candidates, uh, potential candidates, are Kimberly Guilfoyle, who is Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, girlfriend. Fox News. uh, From Fox Fox News. Yes. And also Tony Saig, who's the uh, director of public affairs uh, at Treasury. Mm -hmm. And so those people are also in the mix.
1: Uh, so uh, let's scratch Kimberly Guilfoyle from the list. You cannot have the pr- first. You <laughs> cannot have the president's girlfriend as his president's son's girlfriend. Son's. I'm sorry. It's well, like, uh, no, the uh, <laughs> president's son's girlfriend as the president's press secretary. Want to bet? Uh, yes. <laughs> Plus, we know she's no longer with Fox News. She is now going to America First policies. is First the
5: Super PAC for
1: Trump. Super PAC for Trump 2020. Right. Yeah. So So the uh, kind of two strikes against her to that respect, yeah.
5: Yeah, yeah. That's there's no. uh, I think I have a better chance of being secretary in the (laughs) White House than uh, (laughs) uh, than Kimberly Guilfoyle.
1: But think of it this way: she could have been the first lady of California. Oh yes.
5: Remind our listeners who might not remember
1: Uh, because Kimberly Guilfoyle was married to Gavin Newsom when he was mayor of San Francisco. Uh, and they split up, and um, she says that Gavin has now moved so far to the left because she is no longer there huh. uh, as a moderating influence on her former husband, Gavin Newsom.
5: And didn't she have a did she have a thing with Anthony Scaramucci? Remember that? Oh boy, time?
3: I don't know.
1: Uh, the, you're you're asking so. the wrong person. Oh, yeah. I, I remember. I, I have not. Uh, and made any effort to keep up with her love life.
3: But, you know, Gavin Newsom's always been pretty far left. Even when he was married to to Kimberly Guilfoyle, then Kimberly Guilfoyle Newsom.
1: Yeah. No, he's always been a Democrat. I mean, yeah, and a, and a yes. progressive Democrat. Yes. And he's going to be the next governor of California. So, she missed her chance. Right. <laughs> uh, back to- Gavin's
5: uh, kind of a ladies' man. Yeah. You know? Let's be honest.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> Just a side note, if, <laughs> sure. in case
5: Gavin's listening- <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, he does have that reputation. I think he's, I think he's maybe uh, changed his ways he's now, growing up a little there. bit. Right. Uh. So back to, uh, I know Donald Trump does not want us to talk about Helsinki anymore. Uh, that's why we're talking about maybe going to war with Iran, all caps, <laughs> or about uh, ripping the security clearance away from these former, uh, former uh, uh, aides. By the way, on that point. David Jackson from uh, USA Today yesterday, I thought asked a, a pretty important question at the very at the, the very last question of the briefing, where he said, "Wait, on this list, so are Joe Biden and Barack Obama on that list?"
5: <laughs> Not yet, but you oh, never know. Because, they don't really criticize Trump. Obama. Doesn't go out well, publicly as much. Joe Biden. Joe does. Joe Biden does. He's a bulldog.
1: Yeah, right. So, but uh, so back to this, you know classic Donald Trump. With all the criticism, what does he do? He doubles down and invites Putin to come to Washington in September. And it sounded like a crazy idea, but Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday, Peter, we've got that the clip where she said, no, uh, this was not at the briefing, but earlier in the morning, just talking to some reporters. Yeah, we're barging ahead. Here she we're is. going
4: to continue moving forward, uh, focusing on those same topics with uh, Ambassador Bolton leading his team to work with uh, Vladimir Putin's national security team to set up the
1: second meeting. So they plan on doing it. Uh, and, Daniel, I might point out, this would happen, that uh, they're talking about, in September, right in the middle of the midterm elections.
5: Yeah, I'm sure Republicans are just thrilled about uh, <laughs> You know, and Democrats would definitely use this in uh, campaign ads uh, in the fall. So it's just... Uh, it's not a good look, uh, given that the Helsinki Summit didn't go well. If it if it had gone great, and Vladimir Putin was like, "I'm pulling out of Syria, I'm pulling out of Ukraine," then people would have rightly said, uh, you know, they would have applauded Trump's uh, forgetting that. They might have asked, "What did you promise or, him in exchange?" I'm
1: sorry, I tried to interfere in the election in 2016, and we'll never do it again. Yeah, but anything, that's, anything, right?
5: Uh, Putin's also one of the wealthiest people in the world. Uh, he has lots of money stored in Swiss banks, according to. Uh, multiple reports, uh, and so and I'm sh- sure he's richer than Trump. No one's ever pointed that out, probably.
1: I uh, know, I hadn't thought about that. You know, he's richer than Trump. Yeah. I mean, Putin. <laughs>
5: Putin could be the richest person in the world, and Trump doesn't even claim to be. So. Right. Remember uh, how he had that in the release once? It said 50, he said he he's worth like five or fifteen billion dollars in all caps.
1: <laughs> yeah, wasn't I was just trying to think. Wasn't it ten billion? Ten billion. He, yeah, he yeah. claimed that he was ten, and Forbes Maga, Forbes said maybe around four. Yeah, three to four. Yeah, I mean we don't have to feel sorry for him, right? No. I mean, but but still, you're right about Putin. But the idea, in terms of a political bombshell, I mean, th- th- I would assume, should we assume that this meeting would be held where else? At the White House.
5: Yeah, it's not going to be held at the Trump Hotel.
1: <laughs> right. No, so, this is a, a, uh, so it's Putin at the White House in September when every Republican suffer up for re-election.
5: Yeah, that's not going to be uh, uh, crazy good for Republicans.
1: What is it about um, the Republicans who, um, Peter, it, no, no, we are too close to the end of the hour, don't have time for the bite, but why is it that Republicans are so hesitant to um, take on Donald Trump?
5: I think they fear uh, the wrath of revenge against them if by him by, uh, from hi- from him
1: fr- from him if they
5: criticize too much. Remember, he's gone after people like Ben Sass, Jeff Flake, Bob yeah. Corker, uh, and so they don't want to be in the crosshairs. And also, they're the Republican base; they like Trump still, and uh, it's really hard to oppose your own president. And they think that would make yeah. it things worse for them,
1: right? So given, we can Trump. given that, uh, what do Democrats do here in 2018? Well, uh, Ben Wickler from MoveOn.org will tell us that in the next hour. Um, for now, we say thank you to Daniel Lipman from Politico. Thanks thank you, for, Bill. for this year. Politico.com. Check it out. Sign up for the playbook. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support.
3: Everything you need to fight the Trump administration, this is The Bill Press
1: Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Do we call it uh, Nixonian, or is it just out of Putin's playbook? Either one. It's Donald Trump's latest temper tantrum. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you here on a Tuesday, July 24. Yep, you're allowed to do anything in this country except criticize the President of the United States if you do that we'll sick the IRS on you and we'll take away your security clearance. Oh, man, can't believe it. But, yes, anything to change the subject, and that's what Donald Trump is trying to do. We've got that covered, plus all the other news of the day. That's why it's good to see you today, and we thank you for joining us as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Uh, And jumping into uh, this hour with the excitement of the midterm elections, and particularly all the excitement and the energy on the left and among progressives, uh, led in large part by MoveOn.org, who's Washington director Ben Wickler, whom we haven't seen in a while because he's been on paternity leave, but he's back in action or I guess you're out of action in one in one area and back in action in another. A different front. A different front, right. How are you, Ben? So I'm it's, good. It's so good to be back. It's great to see you, right? And family's all good. and Family's great. Kids are healthy. Doesn't mean they're sleeping through the night, but you know, that's what you sign up for. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it,
2: it, these are crazy times. They Where, are crazy right? times. I have to say, in a funny way, small children are a bastion of sanity. You know, you know what you're dealing Uh-oh. with. They're not compromised by a foreign agent. You you come in, they're not ripping up the Constitution. It's just mm-hmm. a wet bed or, you know, yeah. learning how to crawl or, or one of these kinds of complicated situations. But they're very solvable by a single person, whereas our political situation takes an entire movement, which is something we, you know, you have to leave the house to make it happen.
1: But we sort of have, do have a big baby in charge of our political politics. <laughs> That's the problem. The baby blimp. We're talking about exactly someone who can't sleep through
3: the night, waking up at early, early, early hours I tweet. know. Yeah.
1: Yes. No. If we could only get him to sleep through the night. <laughs> He's fired his babysitters. He was supposed to be
2: minded <laughs> by those
1: people he hired in his White House, and they're falling down on the job. Right. So we got lots to talk about, and we want to hear from you, your comments on the news of the day, uh, send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first. This is the full court press.
3: Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Hey, you want to get high, but you're short on time in Washington. They have a solution for you. Drive through pot shop. It is the very first one in the nation. It's in Auburn, Washington. Now, how do they make this happen? It's actually built on a reservation in Washington, so it's got a special permit from the state to add a drive-through service. So you can drive through. There is a menu, just like at a McDonald's, and you can order your pot. Now, they have a security guard both at the actual order uh, uh, box where you see the menu, and then they have another security guard where you pick it up just to make sure that everyone in the car is over the age of 21 to make sure that it uh it is not abused
1: yeah but one of the whole things about legalizing pot was dri- driving while high right yeah so this is not necessarily a good idea they
3: encourage you to not smoke the weed <laughs> while you are driving but you can drive through and pick it up and then take it home and spark up don't do it while you're driving they're very very clear about that not to say that it, that wall won't get broken
1: you know, it reminds me. I think it was in Utah once that I saw uh, like these drive-in bars, right? No. Yeah, they have
3: uh, drive-through liquor stores. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah, liquor store. yeah I've been through right. one of those in Ohio. You it just drive in. Like no, and no, it's not a good
2: idea. I feel like you, the the test should be you need to be able to park your car, walk into the store, <laughs> conduct your yeah. transaction, walk back to your car. Yeah. If you're going to have a prayer of buying any of these substances.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Sad news to report this morning. Uh, Stormy Daniels is getting a divorce she's getting a she was married her husband uh i didn't uh, know she was married she yeah was married. she was married to a man named glenn they he has filed for divorce saying uh citing adultery as the reason which whether or not it was the specific case of stormy daniels and donald trump he did not say but he did say that uh he's citing adultery which i think is kind of part of her job description if she's married i mean that that is what she does
2: maybe it was off camera
3: yeah
1: This is The Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. I uh, heard this before, huh? Sicking the, far, the po- powers of the federal government on your political enemies? Hmm, didn't Richard Nixon do that? Now it's Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. On a Tuesday, July 24, so good to see you today. Thanks for being part of the program, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, And joining you coast to coast on the radio, on television, and online with Ben Wickler, Washington Director of MoveOn.org here uh, in studio with us. Hello, Ben. Great to see you. It's great to be here. Welcome back. These are exciting political times here in the midterms. Uh, And the big story that I hear, those front page New York Times story on it uh, this weekend, is that the Democrats are really in trouble because... People like you uh, are trying to move the party too far to the left, or uh, towards the voters, as I would say. Or they particularly cite Alexandria or Ocasio Cortez, right, as the threat that the Democrat facing the Democratic Party. Sitting in that chair where you are, a couple of weeks ago, Tom Perez, the chair of the DNC, said, "She's the future of the Democratic Party." I think that's closer to it.
2: Yeah, this whole thing is it's a farce and it's essentially cooked up by people who are worried that the Democratic Party will take extremely popular positions that are hard to undo because they're so popular that threaten the interests of people who write really big checks. That's what it comes down to. If you look at polls about where people are in this country, you know, the so-called moderates, the people in so-called middle are actually conflicted. Generally, they hold, you know, this or that specific view that might be at odds with the Democratic Party. But they are completely right there on issues like Medicare for all, raising the minimum minimum wage to $15, making sure, you know, everyone who wants a job can get a job. These things are actually extremely popular with tons of Republicans as well as independents and progressives. And they're things that that unite people. They just happen to scare the donor class. There's There's a kind of elite, you know, kind of like billionaire cocktail party group of folks who think that what people want is socially liberal, fiscally conservative. They want to slash social security mm-hmm. benefits. They want to slash Medicare. They just want to, you know, make sure that you can go to do whatever you want when you're on the vineyard. And that's, you know, I, I support a certain number of the, the things that they support. Uh, there's a, 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 they're part of the overwhelming pro-choice majority in this country, but on economic issues, they're just totally out of step. And, They not only are out of step in terms of the actual policies, they also the way that they conduct politics suggests that they don't actually understand or care about the struggles of working people. And the core of politics is showing people whether you're on their side. So to me, the real question is whether politicians are going to be clear that they are on the side of the voters whose votes they need rather than the donors whose checks they
1: keep trying to trying to wrangle. Well, um, I I by the way, I have a column and Peter, we should uh, send this out to on the hill this morning, my column in the Hill newspaper this morning is on this very topic. I was just looking at the headline they put on it. Uh, Democrats leaning too far left, question mark. And of course, my answer is <laughs> hell no. But so when you look at, we call her AOC because her name is such a tongue twister. Yeah, um, that her victory in New York, first of all, she's not the only one, right? There was this upstate New York race where the D triple C, Classic Washington top-down establishment had said, this person is our candidate in this race, and the progressive in that race knocked the DCCC candidate out. I forget the the name. The same thing happened in Nebraska, of all places. DCCC says, no, we anoint this person. Classic the way the Democratic Party has always operated. Somebody, probably, I'm sure, a good person, but out of touch with what's going on today, right, and the energy. And- uh, a a, a yeah, progressive activist who'd never run for office before knocked her off. So this is happening all over the country, and uh, so I looked at AOC's in New York where she beat Joe Crowley. What did she campaign on? She campaigned on Medicare for all, sentencing reform, you know, uh, getting rid of private prisons, um, uh, reforming ICE. I mean, yep. let's say abolishing, ICE or reforming ICE, and I forget. But it wasn't. Oh. Campaign, campaign finance reform. That's outrageous. Yeah, I mean, All kind of outrageous. It, she wasn't Island talking. About, she was talking idea. about nationalizing the oil companies or the right. banks. I mean, it was pretty, pretty basic. It's the same platform that Bernie Sanders ran on. almost. Yeah. It's and it's it. a platform that has
2: just. Gigantic levels of support.
1: Yes. It's a, yeah. it's a,
2: it's a, it's a hugely popular you, platform. So what
1: do they mean when they say they're taking a party too far to the left?
2: So there's a study that some political scientists did of party committees and who they support <laughs> in contested primaries. Oh, wow. And it's very interesting. So you would think if you believe them, at fa- if you take them at face value, if you believe them at their word, what they say is that they endorse moderates in districts where a you know progressive would lose the general election. That's what they say. But the study looked at what they do in nominating in contested primaries, both in uh, contested districts, you know, purple districts where the Republican could win the general, and in totally safe blue districts. And guess what? The common thread is that they always endorse yes. the moderates, the centrists. Right. Right. They they just don't want the, you know, the troublemaking yeah. rabble-rousers who actually are willing to stir things up to make change that people want. And yeah. that that's the through line. So you just, you just can't really take the argument – uh, at face value for why they're doing what they're doing. And I, I also have to say, progressives get sometimes they're just, you know, they're a place like Alabama where Doug Jones is about as far left as you're going to get. And the movement rallied to Doug Jones and he won. So it's right. not like we're crazy, no. you know, throwing things exactly. out. And by the way, Doug Jones was pro choice, fighting on civil rights, you know what I mean? And standing up for healthcare, a lot of the same stuff. So I, both. It cuts in, in all directions, fighting for people's no. health, for their, their their ability to live and make it in this economy, in this world. It's a basic, fundamental, decent, progressive idea,
1: and it wins everywhere. Right. Yeah. Now, I'm glad you made that point because, you know, as a progressive, I recognize that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez could not win in every district of the country, but progressives are not saying... You've got to have her or someone like her, exactly her, with her profile everywhere. But at the same time, I would argue that there are a lot more places that she could win than the establishment Democrats are ever going to acknowledge. And they are so out of touch. And people like we've seen, there have been 43 state legislative seats that have flipped in the last 18 months under Donald Trump from red, deep red, yes. to blue. yep in Oklahoma, in Florida, in Wisconsin, yeah. in Iowa. I mean, that message does. In, and not just in the resonate. liberal bastions
2: in these states, in con- very conservative areas. Yes. And this to yes. me there's 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 three things. There's one is, you know, whether your views, your policy positions are things that people want. The second is whether you inspire passion and energy in people to actually get out and and, and do the stuff, whether they believe in you, that they believe you're on their side. And the third is whether you as a candidate have hustle whether you have energy and remember AOC's tweet, respect the hustle. She, she tweeted the photo yeah. of her shoes with the holes in the bottoms. Yes, There's that yes. famous photo yes. of Obama with the holes in his soles. And that, you know, getting out there and fighting the fight makes the difference. And frankly, it's often the people who have the most deeply held beliefs and sincere convictions on the issues who want to work the hardest because it's about something more than themselves. And to me, you don't run from those people. You embrace people who really believe, really want to fight. Those are the people who will fight to get into office and will actually do something once they get
1: there. Uh respect the hustle. You've got to say, right? If in the difference the difference between AOC and Joe Crowley. I she had hustle and he God he had a little him. hustle of his own going he, on but yes well his little hustle was to become speaker and right I, I mean like he was right. working
2: in in, in DC uh, and Exactly. You know, I by, mean by all accounts, he's, he's a, a great guy, guy. hes a but good he did guy. not
1: see this going on
2: no. we I and move on we in the district and, and, he showed no hustle. that's right so move on we endorse based on votes of our members we don't it's not an internal committee that reviews mm-hmm. candidates we uh you know we we look for races where our members might have a strong feeling then we uh then we do a member vote mm-hmm. and our members voted like three quarters to endorse AOC, and that only happens when there's something going on, you know, beyond oh, yeah, the yeah. campaign consultants. That's actual grassroots energy that she and her campaign generated by building an army of volunteers, by going, you know, door after door after door after door. It's like 130,000 doors, something like that, in her mm-hmm. district that mm-hmm. her campaign mm-hmm. knocked. That uh, that shows that there's really something moving and yeah. that is happening in races across the country often races that are outside of the the kind of washington radar and it's yeah. it's it's not like uh, the only people who can get that kind of energy are are it's so far f- from the truth that 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 as the dcc would imagine uh, the only people who can get that kind of energy are those who are splitting the difference with Republicans. It's not like that at all. It's yeah. actually the people who are inspiring genuine passion, who have the hustle, and who are embracing ideas that make people want to fight because they know how it would affect their
1: lives. Move on, move org. If you're not a member, why not? It should be. Uh, sign up. And Ben Wickler is our Washington director here. So I want to get to some of these uh, other races, uh, some of these important races that, that you're involved in. But um, you, you mentioned a lot about the energy and the turnout and everything. Uh, Frank Bruni. Had a great, great of my thought, and a pretty basic in the Sunday New York Times. Um, the headline is "Disgusted with Donald Trump, do this." And always talking about do this. What to, do this means? Get out there and work your butt off. Yes. Right. Yep. If you're not registered, of course, register to vote. Uh, but go out and register some other people. Help voter registration drives. Help some some candidates that you believe in. Work your butt off between now and, and make sure everybody you know is out and voted. And the, so so much of it does depend on this energy level um, voter turnout, yes. right? I mean, and which classically in midterms, the people who tend to vote in midterms are older, whiter voters, right, who are more likely to vote. But And that's got to change. That's right? got to change. And it will change
2: because the other through line for midterms is that it's the people who are not in the president's party. Who tend to have the most energy. Yeah. And we saw that in the Obama years. But frankly, 2006, Democratic takeover of the House, that was a year the electorate. I don't I I'm pretty sure it was not older and whiter than the electorate that elected George W. Bush for a second term in 2004. So by that time, people had had enough. Exactly. And I think we've had about (laughs) 20 years too much of Donald (laughs) Trump in his first year and a half already. Yes. So this is this is a, a really important point. There's a, there's a new collaboration between Swing Left, Move On, Indivisible, a slew of other groups mm-hmm. around a, a unified plan to massively get out the vote for the midterms uh, that is working with an organization called Mobilize that basically creates a public registry of volunteer shifts with campaigns. So even though uh, lots of these groups are uncoordinated with campaigns, we can recruit people to sign up for volunteer shifts directly with campaigns uh, without coordinating with the campaigns themselves. And if you want to plug in to the place where your time will be most strategically used at the moments when it's most important, go to thelastweekend.org. Oh. oh. The lastweekend.org is-, is this new uh, giant collaborative to get everybody plugged in. And the reason for it's called the last weekend is that studies have found that when you talk to a voter, the effect of it is real. But it, it fades over time. Yes. And so the right. most important time is to set aside the last four days of the race and make sure you are just spending every waking second talking to voters and urging them to, to vote for the candidates you care about. Now, thelastweekend.org, if you sign up there, you'll also hear about opportunities to help out in the time before then, which definitely helps. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I want you to, right now, take out your phone, mark your calendar for the last uh, four days, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of the of the election, and plan to spend those Fighting to stop this Republican uh, ongoing atrocity from 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 continuing. And the so last this weekend. is
1: org. this is nationwide, nationwide. That's right. TheLastWeekend.org. dot org. Yes, um, we'll yeah. put that out there. Yeah, we we'll And and all the all the different organizations you mentioned. And by the way, every time I, I go through the list, I'm I, I, you know I'm afraid I forget one, but it, it's so to me, it's so exciting, the enthusiasm, the energy. That's being generated. It's all grassroots up, too, right? Absolutely. It's not coming from the DNC. It's not coming from the DCCC. It's groups like MoveOn.org, like you mentioned, Swing Left, Indivisible, Our Revolution, yep. Run for Something, yep. uh, Emily's List. I, I, I can't remember them all, right? Some are... Some are brand new. Some have been around for a while, like Move On and Emily's yep. List. But and some are local
2: groups. In, in state yes. after
1: state, there are statewide, yes. even citywide, or even you know neighborhood-based
2: organizations that have just huge amounts of volunteer energy, people going to meetings every week, often at the grassroots level. People are signed up for the lists of all these different groups, and they'll come to their meeting and say, "I got this email from MoveOn. I got this email from yeah. Our Revolution. What should we do our protest on this week?" Right, and that's exactly how it should work. There's yeah. no There's no right. turf here. We are all in the same movement trying to to build a blue wave.
1: Peter, there's one group that we were actually plan- hoping to get in, and I don't think we have yet, but that they they were like, if you live in a safe Democratic district, uh, and your guy- sister district. Was it Sister District? That's it. That's sister District. That's right. Yes. Which I love that concept. They'll still say, well, if you're in a safe Democratic, they may not need you there, but we could use you, boom. Absolutely. Here, here's one close to you where you could drive in and
2: yeah. jump in. Yeah. yeah, and frankly, most people live within driving distance of a swing house district. Yeah. There are a yeah. lot of swing house districts this cycle. Right. Find Go to sisterdistrict.org uh, and, and figure out where it is and plan to spend some time there. You know, you're- your,
1: uh, you're not an outsider. You are a neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's time to, time to go talk to people. So what are you asking people to do right now? Just ch- chime in anything they can do, but per- particularly sign up again for the last dot That's right. right? So okay. that's one thing. A second
2: thing is there's going to be a National Day of Action on Brett Kavanaugh on August uh, 26th. That's uh, organized with uh, move on working very closely with NARAL, which had mm-hmm. the, the, the idea for the actions leading the way in that fight. And then a coalition of, of tons of other groups. So if you go to NARAL or, or move on, you'll be able to you know, sign up for our list. You'll get more information about uh, that day of action. It's important that we show that there's grassroots energy on this court fight on our side. Right. Democrats have to see that just as, just as Republicans do. And there are, frankly, there are cracks in the Republican dam right now that it is worth continuing that fight.
1: So that's another another immediate thing you can do. If, if, on the point of Brett Kavanaugh, um, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders started the briefing yesterday. Uh, by attacking the Democrats who refuse to meet with, uh, with uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, h- h- yeah, how ironic. Here she, here she is.
4: For members of the opposing party to demand answers to questions and yet refuse to even meet with a qualified Supreme Court nominee is unprecedented.
1: Does she really think we forget <laughs> Merrick Garland? <laughs> they would. Nobody would meet with him. They wouldn't hold a hearing. They wouldn't meet with him. They Chuck Grassley never met with him. That are, her argument is without Merrick.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a disaster! It, it is. I mean, in fairness, her it's, job is to go out there and I know, but you it, know, sometimes with a poker face, say the most ridiculous things. Yeah,
1: but it's ridiculous, and it is. It's yeah. just like yesterday. Donald Trump, he didn't have a hat on, but here he is selling MAGA hats, right, or (laughs) wearing MAGA hats, made in China, who stands up and makes a big speech about, we have to buy America, and it matters to me where things are made. No, it doesn't. It matters to him where things are made. When I'm selling
2: it, it matters that it's in the lowest possible (laughs) wage place (laughs) in the world. Right. When you're buying it. Yes. Mm. Make sure it has my name printed on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those are his
1: rules. And the same rule applies for Ivanka's jewelry. (gasps) Yeah. No, it's just... Yeah. So, I mean, this... What are some of the important races uh, that we should be looking at? Some of the ones that maybe the national media is not looking at? So, where's where's moveon.org active?
2: Boy, so if you go to candidates.moveon.org, you're going to see the list of endorsed candidates so far. There's more endorsements coming online, a lot right now. Um, Our strategy for the midterms is sort of threefold. The first, biggest, central, most important thing is to take the house, and it is—it's so vital to stay focused on that as the top thing. I think some some people give me the shivers by having a little bit of a false sense of complacency that that will
1: definitely happen, and there's nothing guaranteed about any of this. Uh, uh, by the way, amen, amen, amen. You cannot just assume that that's going to be automatic. Uh-huh. I hope
2: 2016 was enough of a wake-up call for folks, but you know, let's it is hope it is so easy to get. To read polls and think everything is going to be fine. There's absolutely nothing guaranteed. For one, what th- for,
1: what there is is the possibility, and a good yes. possibility, that Democrats c- could take back the House this year. But it's not going to happen unless we make it happen. That is absolutely the case.
3: Yeah.
2: So that's that's number one. The second thing uh, is, and, and I move on. We're endorsing the, uh, a big. We're gonna we're aiming to endorse ultimately a hundred House candidates hmm. across the country. Which is and we need to win twenty four. We need to win uh, twenty three. Twenty three. That's right. Yeah. If we get, uh, you know, part of our theory for this is looking at what's happened in the special elections. You just never know where you have a shot at winning, and so casting a really wide net, making sure not not spreading your energy thin, but making sure that people locally in all these districts know that there's a way to plug into a race that has a has a potential shot. That's that's our best shot at at being able to pick up districts where something erupts late in the cycle, or you know, the wind suddenly shifts in our direction. You want to you want to squeeze everything you can out of a moment like this. So, a hundred House districts we're we're focused on across the country. Then we're doing uh, something new for us: a hundred state and local candidates. Mm. So that's everyone: electoral candidates like Stacey Abrams, to uh, attorney general uh, candidates, you know, lieutenant governor candidates, all uh, state legislative candidates—exciting people who often bring you know a fresh face or voice to the to the fight. Uh, especially trying to build a a slate of candidates that reflects the extraordinary diversity and uh you know and and kind of youthfulness and energy of the democratic field uh, and the progressive movement. And then there's the Senate. That's the that's the third thing. Now the Senate, yeah. This <laughs> statistically the argument is it's very hard for Democrats to hold on to the Senate. But I think they're to 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 win the Senate. To win. Right. I think first of all it's worth a shot. And secondly, every vote matters in the senate the confirmation battles are coming down to you know in in some cases a a one vote margin and so if we lose two seats it is much worse than if we lose one seat if we have a majority with two seats it is vastly better than having a majority of one seat every single senate race really matters and we're particularly focused on races like Tammy Baldwin's in Wisconsin tammy is the Subject of the biggest dark money spend in the country. They've already spent $10 million running attack ads Bad. just to beat yeah. her up because she's a threat to the Koch brothers. And the Koch brothers have this machine in Wisconsin they've used to take the governorship. They've used to rip up the labor protections. Yeah. So much of what they made, made great. Scott Walker. They made yeah. Scott Walker. He is their yeah. puppet. And they want to take Tammy Baldwin out. And we have to show them that that is not going to happen. So- She's she's an example. Sherrod Brown's race. You know, we're, we're throwing down, especially in these races in critical states where there are strong progressives that are being targeted by the right to take them out. And make no mistake, when the right is going after Tammy Baldwin or Sherrod Brown, they're doing it because they want to win those states in 2020 as well. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, what happens at the top of the ticket uh, in our in. Races like Wisconsin's will affect what happens at the state legislature as well, with the governor's race, and that affects redistricting, which, in some ways, is the the longest term fallout of this election. What happens in the state legislatures now determines control of the house for the next decade.
1: Yeah, right. That's why I was really pleased to hear you say that you've got you're endorsing a uh, hundred candidates in state legislative and state constitutional yeah. offices yeah. because it is so important. The governorship's there. And the control of the state legislature going to decide who draws the lines the next time around, That's as you right. just pointed out. Democrats yeah.
2: took their eye off the ball Absolutely. off of this for yeah. so long. I remember, I remember in high school hearing about the Christian rights kind of totally bottom-up uh, electoral strategy, where they were going after school board seats, city council seats, building this deep bench of elected officials who could then move up through the ranks. Those people then get to state legislatures. They join ALEC. They start introducing, you know, stand your ground bills and pro fracking bills and bills to, you know, all these corporate finance bills to preempt to municipal Wi-Fi, all this kind of stuff. And they, they make their bones with, with ALEC. And then they get elected to Congress and they move on up the chain. And on our side, we've had this, this kind of fascination, this mesmerization with presidential politics. And- you know, as we are seeing, it matters who's president, but you have to start right at the ground level and and build up, because that's it can't just be there's no one person who can make all the difference we need, and. All the other offices that we're talking about, especially state legislatures, create the, the kind of foundation for being able to
1: build the kind of progressive country that we all want to live in. So the people can find out about this list of candidates that you either already have or will be endorsing at moveon.org? Yeah,
2: candidates.moveon.org. We have a special page. You can see their photos and their bios. Uh, click through to more information about them. And every week we're uh, doing more endorsement votes and announcing additional folks that we've endorsed. One, one other thing I'll note um, mostly, we're focused on candidates, but this year we're also uh, getting involved with supporting the the Florida Second Chances Initiative, which is a ballot initiative in Florida that restores the right to vote to oh. 1.4 million ex-offenders there.
1: Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. that's and very, very important. It's so yeah. important.
2: It is the, the right thing to do. Sure. And it's also Terry McAuliffe, of
1: governor, thing. was able to do that in Virginia. That's right. Yeah, and it makes a By, big difference. Right. You know, they. <laughs> I heard him he tell that story. In Virginia, it was like six hundred or eight hundred, whatever it was. Or I forget thousand. how many. Yeah, and um, uh, and he did it, and the judge ruled against it and said because you can't do a mass pardon like that or something like, or re- re- restoration or whatever, and so he said, oh, but I could do them one at a time. He said, "Yeah." He said, "Okay, bring them to me." And yeah. he sat there and he signed every last one of them one at a time. That's how he got around. It. No way. Yeah, yeah. I had No idea. No, amazing. That's amazing. That's awesome. A, it's a great story. <laughs> I'll show you. I'm going to do it. I'll do it. Then. Yeah. So, but so in Florida, as a pen vendor. Yeah, part, 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 Florida. It's an initiative. Yes, it's a yeah. ballot initiative.
2: And if you're it's in Florida a, right now, there's phone banking this weekend. Yeah. Uh, I think across the country, you can call voters in Florida. To get them plugged into this. Uh, yeah.
1: If you Google Florida second chances, you can find it. You know, I find this is so exciting. To me, I haven't seen, a little older than you are, but I haven't seen this kind of grass excitement, among, particularly among young people, grassroots activity since the anti-Vietnam War protest. I mean, it is just, it's happening. It's popping up all over the country. There, I, I saw the number the other day. I forget it now. But like, there are twice as many candidates running this year as we've ever, as as in the last Time, there was a blue wave, I think 2006. Yeah. But this year, there are twice as many candidates running. Yeah. Just because part of this enthusiasm and energy is people saying, no, I could run for this. Or, Absolutely. You know. Yeah. I mean, in districts where we've never even had a Democrat on the ballot before. That's right. right. Yeah. There, there, there are people- Running for these seats, and those people are not just random candidates. They're no. often
2: coming out of these groups. You know, yes. they're coming yes. out of communities of people that are working and trying to make a difference. There's, a, you, I mean, you talk there, to candidates. Again, back say, to
1: Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, exactly. she's a classic example. Yep. Never ran for office before. She's a volunteer, or she's a waitress. Yep. volunteering for Bernie Sanders. Yep. Yeah, and she and gets
3: the groups, bug.
2: Brand new Congress and Justice Democrats sit down with her, say, you know, you should yeah. run. And yeah. the the what's happening right now that you can see is that these these candidates are. Running for office is part of a movement, which is frankly much more powerful than just building your own personal machine. When you run as part of a movement, you're accountable to the movement. You have allies that you can work with to try to whip votes of other legislators. Like this is this is the beginning of one of those moments where not only can you win a lot of offices, but you can actually pass bills because people are running uh, running for office and they're standing for something. And that's when you actually change people's lives. And ultimately, that's what builds the kind of political constituency for progressive uh, for progressive policies that we need.
1: You know, uh, I don't want to give him all the credit for it, but I've had this conversation so many times early on with uh, Senator Sanders, and from the beginning, he he used, he told me and everybody else what he really was interested in more than running for president was building a movement. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yep. again, he's had a, a played a big role in. This movement that is certainly out there today. The first yeah. time I met Bernie Sanders
2: was, boy, the early two thousands, maybe it was the nineties, at Fighting Bob Fest uh, in Wisconsin. Fighting, so Fighting Bob Lafollette was the founder of the progressive oh. movement. He was this great senator. Yeah. He fought uh, for a slew mm. of progressive politics before it was cool in the early twentieth yeah. century. Yeah. And there's an annual festival celebrating him in Wisconsin oh, called oh. Fighting Bob Fest. And Bernie Sanders used to fly out to Wisconsin, huh. go to rural yeah. Wisconsin. And speak at fighting Bobfest oh, because wow. he believes in building a progressive movement and had nothing yeah. to do with his, Robert Lafalon is considered the father of the progressive movement. Absolutely. There's yeah. a big bust of him in the Wisconsin state capitol. Still, Scott Walker can't take it away. Fighting so fighting Bobfest. Well, Bernie Sanders, you no, know, he wasn't thinking about running for president. Yeah. He wasn't thinking about getting was- votes in Wisconsin. He was just wanted to help, you know, support local progressive movement building. So that's when, I, that's when I met him. I had no idea who he was at the time. <laughs> but, and uh, that he's been yeah. doing that for his whole life. Oh. And what part of what you know, building a movement means is creating channels and ways for people to contribute to something bigger than themselves, bigger than their own election. And it, it can wind up helping
1: build this kind of electoral force we need this year. So what's possible and what's not? For that, we look at the polls. And to help us through some of the polls today, we're going to be joined. Uh, uh, ben Steer, uh, staying here as a friend of Bill, will be joined by Ariel Edwards-Levy from HuffPost, coming up next here on The Bill Press Show. Quick break, we'll be right back. With Download our
3: podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show.
1: And on a Tuesday, July 24, live from our nation's capital, it is The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thanks for being part of the program as uh, we come to you live from Capitol Hill, our studio on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air Rail, and Transportation Workers. Put them all together. You've got the Smart Union under President Joseph Sellers, good men and women of the Smart Union giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. Check out their website at smart-union.org. Ben Wickler from moveon.org. Here for the hour as a friend of Bill, good to have you with us. Bill. Always a pleasure to, to be uh, here with you. We've been talking a lot about uh, potential here and the excitement uh, around the uh, midterms on uh, across the country, uh, and uh, how is that reflected in what people are thinking about politics today? Uh, that's the focus of Ariel Edwards-Levy from HuffPost, who's their polling editor and politi- political reporter. Nice to see you, Ariel. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Uh, when people, how do feel? Pe- how do people feel about the direction the country is going in, on in today? As sort of the mood for what Ben and others and the, these progressive organizations are working on, are people feel good or or <laughs> troubled about where we're going.
0: I mean, I think overall the consensus leans more toward troubled. But what's always really amazing is how much of a divide there is, where you have one share of the public that's very, very deeply happy about what's happening, one share that's very angry, and one share that's more or less tuned out. And I think one of the trends that we've seen, and we'll see whether that continues through the midterms, is that the people who are angry are a lot angrier than the people who are <laughs> happier happy, and they are more of them. So... That's sort of the basic ground lines, but we'll see how that plays the out. The latest
1: numbers I saw was something like forty-nine percent said we're going in the wrong direction, and thirty-nine think we're going in the right direction. But I mean, that that's yeah. sort of the classic. Yeah. A question the pollsters ask. Yeah,
0: and it's one of those indicators that I think is really interesting because it's useful, but it's also sometimes very hard to read the tea leaves to figure out what people are actually saying when they say wrong track. Um, I think most people, for one thing, read it as an entirely political question. So you end up basically saying, what do you think of the current administration, especially when you have an entirely Republican-controlled government?
1: Right. I guess, Ben, some people could think we're going in the wrong direction but still blame it on Barack Obama.
0: I guess that's true. I mean, I think that
2: the this, this thing is that people, it mm-hmm. used to be that you'd say, do you feel like the country's heading in the right direction? Okay, if you think it's heading in the right yep. direction, then you must be happy with the administration because they're making it go that yeah, way. Right. But now people are answering it like, I think it's going in the right direction because I love this administration. Like yeah. that's what going in the right direction means is that my guy's in power or that this guy's a total flaming train wreck. And it's, it's is, is there like a feedback effect where people read about polling and they hear about polling on the news and so they like shape their polling answers to like as, you know, as arguments, I for guess politics. there could be,
0: but I figure if you're the kind of person who's spending a lot of time reading about surveys, you probably already have your partisan opinions pretty well lined up to begin with. Do um, people
1: tell the truth to pollsters?
0: Honestly, I think they do to a large extent. I mean, really? I you know I think you're always going to have like a very small percentage of people who are not answering in good faith, and that's why you know you don't look at very tiny changes and things because there's always going to be a little issues around the edges but for the most part I think people are pretty you know receptive and I've always been sort of humbled honestly by the fact that there are people who are willing to take time out of their day to let people know what they think and to be very sort of candid about their views.
2: My I mean I think my honest opinion is that a lot of how I feel about how the country's going is, is, you know is shaped by who's in power and what kinds of policies they're putting in place. Yeah. So like I think you know the economy is pretty strong there's problems that I'd like to see corrected but I don't that doesn't give me a lot of comfort right now yeah <laughs> i mean, I mean that, that really is a
0: shaping a lot of what people are thinking about politics because it's so dominating everything which i think is probably the same dynamic you see in a lot of the midterm races the economy thing is very interesting because for such a long time how people felt about the economy was very very directly tied into how they felt about the presidency and how they felt about politics in general and under this administration you've seen this sort of disconnect where i mean Yes, probably the good economy is helping keeping Trump afloat to a greater extent than he would be otherwise. But, you know, it kind of reminds me when we asked about the tax reform bill. We asked people who have supported and opposed it, is your opposition or your support because of how it's going to affect you or how you think it's going to affect the country. And I mean, obviously people want to sound like they're, you know, great civic minds who are looking into the national impact. But I honestly do think that there are a lot of Democrats who would say, "Okay, well this isn't going to hurt me personally maybe, but I think it's a terrible bill."
1: Yeah. Uh, Helsinki. What do the American people think about the president's performance uh, alongside of Vladimir Putin?
0: I'm sure you'll be very surprised to hear this. If you liked the <laughs> president, you fairly thought probably thought he did a reasonable job. If you hated the president, you thought he was treasonous, and if you didn't have much of an opinion on the president, you were probably wondering what exactly happened in Helsinki. So. Um,
1: so it just fell down along yeah. partisan lines.
0: Um, for the but most overall, didn't overall it was a negative response, yeah. which you know shouldn't be surprising because overall opinions of the president are. But
1: among negative. Republicans, it was sky high.
0: Um, you know, it sort of depends, and that's the there. This is one of those questions where, in general, opinions on Russia have been very, very, very hard to budge. You know, it's one of those things that has been more baked in than you know many other things. But there are some results that don't totally hew to that. And one thing that um, some polls have found is that there are some Republicans who aren't thrilled about it. You know, if you ask them, they're going to say, OK, yeah, they're probably going to line up with the president. They're not going to turn on him over this. It's not going to be the critical decision point of his presidency. But, you know, I don't think it was a crowning moment for many Republicans of his presidency And there's some sign that, you know, one survey from uh, NBC and The Wall Street Journal that just came out found that there's a rising consensus among all parties that the Russians were involved in election interference, although I've seen other polling that did not find that same shift. So, I mean, you know, it's possible that we're seeing a little bit of that softness, but I think the Republicans who are sort of uncomfortable with this have Largely always been sort of uncomfortable with this, and it doesn't mean that it's shaking their support for the president necessarily, but it means that it's something that they don't love.
1: Hmm. How do you conduct this poll? Your polling,
0: Phone So, or? um, our person, um, our Post polling, we work with a partner, YouGov, who has an online panel, and so basically they're sending questions out to um, their panelists, and then you know, through who they select to take the poll out of their panel, and through the waiting afterwards, it, that's um. Uh, weighted back to reflect the characteristics of the American public.
1: Well, but who are these panelists? Are they, It's pro- f- I mean, political they're professionals? All on Mueller staff. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs>
0: you know, it's millions of people. You know, one of the oh, things that I really like. They
1: call them panelists, but they're.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's basically what that means is that you agree to um, get emails that say, will you take our survey?
1: I see. Okay. And there are millions of people, and there's.
0: It's all, all across America, on demographic a, spectrum. You know, right. I mean, with every survey, and this is online, phone, any, however you do it, there are certain people who are more likely to take surveys, who are easier to reach. And that's one of the things that you end up correcting with the waiting. But one thing I really love... So loved, it's the
1: same people, though, that are answering every poll?
0: No. I mean, you know, people will end up getting one poll every couple, you know, every couple of days, every couple of weeks, but it's not the same person taking every single survey.
1: I just wonder about the people who. Agree to be on this panel? I mean, n- not. Uh, I wouldn't in a million years. <laughs> I love taking. I love taking yeah. polls myself. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. every time I have gotten a phone call and said we would, we're conducting a survey. Whoop, thank you. Boom. Hang out. You know, right? this has been a study. Or if study. I get an email, do you want to take the survey? Even if I stay at a hotel and they say, would you rate your stay at the hotel? I always just throw the... I never do those at all. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Well, you will not be surprised to know that this has been a stalking horse of the survey industry for years. And because with you know surveys of all Americans, one thing is because we have the census, which is, in effect, a very large survey that you kind of have to answer, we can go back and sort of look at how people who take surveys stack up against people who don't take surveys. And A, that's held fairly consistent, and B... In most cases, the people who do take surveys end up being fairly representative even of the people who don't. There are a couple of main differences. And one of the main differences you might not be surprised to know is that people who take surveys score much higher on being interested in civic participation. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you ask people, do you volunteer? Are you like in part of your community? That's going to be a lot higher among the kind of people who will take a survey and the kind of people who won't take a survey.
2: Yes, Bill. You're not <laughs> civic minded <laughs> enough. So, I, 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 what I right guess what now, I'm I saying it. is got you got should be message. out there. Picking yeah.
0: up, you know, the recycling <laughs> off the lawn or whatever it is that civically minded people do.
2: Although contributing through hours of broadcasting a day is a is a is a
1: different form of civic contribution. Well, I do recycle. I <laughs> pick a, I pick up litter on the street. I mean, yeah. I do some good things. Yeah. So it's just I don't like surveys. <laughs> I think it's. All. I think surveys.
2: When you're getting a call from, you know, or getting an email from YouGov or a call from a campaign is different from the hotel satisfaction survey. For me, I like taking surveys partly because I like finding out what people are pulling on, hearing what the questions are. Sometimes you start the survey and you're you know answering questions about your age and stuff. And then suddenly you're talking about whether you care if the attorney general, you know, Mm -hmm. takes a stand against predatory lending. And it's like, huh, that is interesting to me. Yes, I do care about that.
0: So. Yeah, I don't know. One of the things I love doing is ask one of the questions that I've tried to throw on occasionally is I stopped. And before we you know, get into all these questions about what, you know, what we're asking about and what I've been paying attention to and people in newsrooms have been paying attention to, is I stop and say, OK, what happened in the news today? And you get fascinating answers. Mm. And I mean, one thing I will say is that people answer for the most part. You ask if people are taking these in good faith. People make a good faith attempt to answer. I've had people apologize saying, I'm really sorry. It was a pretty busy day for me. I wasn't paying that much attention, which is legitimate. That's not your job. Yeah. You know, but it's always fascinating because I think a lot of times what is sort of circulating around Twitter and cable and, you know, the sort of beltway consensus is not what other people are paying attention to and is often... Much more concentrated than the people who have, you know, you know, logged onto Facebook and maybe caught a few minutes of TV.
1: So, from your polling, what can you glean about the Democrats' chances of taking back the House in 2018?
0: You know, I am going to um, not make any procrast- uh, prognostications on that point. I think, you know, all things considered, maybe the mood
1: of the country. I mean, even if you haven't, you're not going, yeah. you know, race by race by race, and and not during horse yeah. races. Yeah, but. But no, just the mood of the country. I
0: mean, here's the thing. I think that right now most but not all polling would indicate that Democrats have an enthusiasm advantage. Whether that's going to hold through November and whether that's going to be enough is something we're gonna see. I mean, one of the things you talk about is especially in midterms is turnout. Who's gonna turn out, you know, who's likely to turn out. And we're still not even at the point in the cycle which is traditionally, you know, around Labor Day when people start actually Building that into most of the public polling that's coming out. So, and, you know, also just with the current news environment, I think we see these swings where, you know, President Trump has sort of ranged from sort of the high 30s in approval rating to where he is now, which is sort of in the mid 40s. And, you know, I think that swing is mostly Republican leaning people who are not totally comfortable with the president when he's doing something like North Korea that they're fairly happy with and acting, you know, the cabinet nomination sort of slightly more traditional Republican president things, that number goes up when the administration is chaos, it goes back down. And I think to some extent, it's going to depend which of those cycles we're in when the midterm hits, which we won't know for a little while, obviously.
2: Do you feel like there's issues that you see as a pollster where the public is in a really different place than the kind of political consensus in D.C.?
0: Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I'm trying to think of what a good example of that is. Um, Honestly, I think Helsinki in some ways was a good example. You know, because like I said, I don't think it was something that thrilled, you know, everybody. It certainly got a negative response. But that sort of visceral, oh, my God, what just happened? This is completely out of the ordinary. This is... You know, something it was more
1: intense in D.C. Yeah. than around the country. And I
0: mean, I actually kind of thought that this might be the case even before we started getting numbers back, because I think that to have that sort of gut punch reaction, you have to have a lot of baselines built in, which is, A, you have to be watching this conference in the middle of the day. And B, you have to have sort of a fairly strong sort of prior sense of how a president should act with foreign leaders, right. you know, what a world press conference should look like, what sort of demands the U.S. should be making. I think often the disconnect is just sort of how much time and thought, you know, people are putting into these things. And obviously, I mean, there are committed partisans who have feel very strongly. And people, you know, do try to keep up with what's happening. But it's a different worldview.
1: You know, related to this, um, uh, we often have as a guest uh, Kyle Kondik from the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. Yeah. Um, and Larry Sabato, uh, who runs that center, another good friend. I mean, he's he's known as a very, um, a, when I use the word conservative, I don't mean necessarily politically conservative, yeah. but c- careful, conservative, yeah. cautious, cautious yes. thank you is a, maybe a better word, pollster. But this morning he took a uh, at, and he's been, so far he's been saying about the midterms, it's a flip of the coin. Mm-hmm. So he's not part of the, yes, definitely it's going to be, a. it's a big blue wave here, right? He's been very cautious about that uh he really um t- changed his tune this morning took se- looked at 17 races that he's had as um maybe leaning right and put them all leaning Democratic really yeah huh. and says now that there's a better than a 50 50 50 50 chance that Democrats will take back the house yeah. so he sees certainly a, a mood swing uh and again mm. n- as you indicated not a definite, Right thing, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and I mean they're smart guys, and you know I would put weight in that analysis. And I mean, you know, I think it's one of those things where, to get back to a tiresome <laughs> conversation that we all had a lot after the twenty sixteen elections about what probabilities mean and the fact that you would rather be a Democrat, but there's still, you know, that's not a guarantee. Is I think we all probably
2: one, one point that you made that I I keep coming back to as I think about the election is that what's happening in the specific news cycle when people vote matters a lot. And there's, you know, we don't know what the equivalent of the Comey letter and the DNC hack will be in this election cycle, but there will be stuff in the Trump era. There's always stuff. There's going to be some issue that was not on our radar that will suddenly be on our radar in the last two weeks. And one thing I keep thinking about as an activist is that the way you hedge against that. Is by getting people to vote early if they can, getting everyone who is, you know, capable of doing it to vote absentee, doing everything you can to build up your vote so it doesn't all rest on the flip of the coin that happens on election day. How does how does how does the change in how people vote affect how you do polling in an election, how you analyze what's going on? Yeah.
0: I mean, on one hand, I think it does make it sort of easier because if you're trying to, um, you know, say, OK, who's going to turn out? Well, if someone says, well, I already voted. Well, you know, you don't have to say, well, are they likely to? Do they really mean it? Is, I mean, and you, like, this gets back to the in good faith thing. People will over report certain behaviors that they think make them look better. Voting is one of them. You will see. Watching. You, yes, flossing, voting. You, you'll see, like, uh, it varies depending on the survey. I think people where you actually have to tell another human being whether you voted have a little bit more of an issue with that. But, you know, that's a, something where that's a you have to think about that. Um, one of the things where it's been really interesting how that's affected things is, is exit polling. Because traditionally exit polling is, you know, you stand outside of a polling place, you grab some people, you ask them the questions. And if a lot of people are not actually coming to the polling place that day, you know, so now you're seeing exit polling and alternatives to exit polls are being built that have a lot more of sort of a traditional polling component where you're calling people up because there are so many people who've already voted any time before the actual election.
2: So don't trust the exit polls. <laughs> 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 no, do, I mean, do you trust
0: the exit polls? But, you know, I think they're just sort of having to evolve to yeah. keep up with the times. Don't trust the don't trust results that are coming out from an exit poll before the polls close. That's just, you know, stop trying to figure something out 20 minutes before you'll know the answers But anyway. you're not even
1: allowed to report
0: before yeah. the polls and, close, and correct? Num- I mean. You shouldn't, and there's a good reason for that. Numbers tend to sort of circulate anyway, which is, you know, I mean, the thing is about those is that after the polls close, they're starting to wait those to who actually turned out, and then they become more and more accurate. And, you know, eventually they get used for making the race calls and later, you know, for seeing who voted. but. Yeah.
2: Man, the day of exit polls in twenty sixteen and in two thousand four were so painfully off base. <laughs> I have such painful memories that I, I'm making I'm pledging right now that on <laughs> November eighth of this year, I'm not gonna look at any leaked exit polls and I'm just gonna make I'm gonna keep on knocking on doors and calling voters until the second every every polling location's closed. Well, you have to. And again, it's just they've been so massively wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so massively, painfully wrong. Is is there, like, enthusiasm shifts on election day that affect...
0: Well, I mean, there are people who vote at different times of day, and there are people who tend to sort of get overrepresented and, again, this all stuff you can... I mean, there's a whole long and sort of extremely painful debate about how much roles of, like, education are things that people are getting wrong. But, you know, in general, there are things that you can sort of wait for. But, you know the initial results are always going to have the potential to be off. And again, it's one of those things where if you sit down and do whatever you're planning on doing for the next hour or two.
1: So how do you explain, and I want you to know I hold you personally responsible. (laughs) Oh God, uh, this sounds like a great start. uh, That Donald Trump has like an 88% approval rating among Republicans when he does such nutty things. And and he does such un-Republican things like slaps tariffs on, uh, you know, 1,300 products or, or more, you know. Uh,
0: you know, I think partisanship on both sides is driven by a lot more than adherence to certain policy points, and especially on things like tariffs, which I would willing to bet that many people do not have sort of deeply baked in views of, you know, what makes a tariff a good thing. And you see this on a lot of issues that Trump touches, not only from his base, but also from Democrats who, you know, it's like a magnet where, like, they just, like, jump away from any position that he takes that they might have formally, you know, embraced. You know, you see this on things like immigration where the Democratic Party is now more in favor of immigration than they've been at any time and like decades just like uniformly but
1: it does seem and we talked about it, it does seem that that um, his famous Fifth Avenue comment right yeah that there's nothing he can do that will shake their loyalty well to him. I
0: mean two examples of that which I have um I, I will say I don't think there's it nothing. I think there are things he could do that will make them sort of make people unhappy. And I think there are different points for people. But, you know, two things we've tested is one, his praising uh, the leader of North Korea. And two, which I think might be more, you know, even more visceral, was after um, the gun debate when he said that he thought that we should take the guns away from mentally ill people without due process. We tested that statement. And most people were like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Sure.
2: Was this is something that you'd think Republicans would flee from? Yeah, given their prior. Yeah, and I mean it's one guns. of those
0: things actually that if you put Trump's name on it, you know, for a brief period, I think Republicans were probably more willing to consider some measure of gun control than they've been in quite some time. If you told my, them that Donald Trump was okay with it, my
2: impression is that most Republicans actually support most things Democrats support, like universal background checks on guns. Yeah, so it's that. It's might one of be, those things
0: where this sort of overall. Views are very, very opposite and have grown very, very partisan. But if you look at, you know, very specific measures and you know, without the politi- um, political ramifications, I think people would support things like that. Of course, then once it gets back into the political sphere, well, you said off.
1: you said that there, uh, there, there, uh, there is some point and some issue maybe where, or something that he would do that finally would Republicans would turn against him. Boy. I keep waiting for that one. Well, let me clarify that. on that. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> you don't have a chance. Next, next we're time. <laughs> out of time. Thanks so much. All right, Ariel, great to see you. Thanks, Thanks for having coming me. In. Ben, always good to have you with us. Don't forget, folks, it is thelastweekend.org. Thelastweekend.org. Sign up, and then uh, come back and see us again tomorrow, too. We'll be looking for you. This is The Bill Press Show.